welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. Today I have David Gregg. I hope I pronounced the last name right. Should have yeah. looked at it before we did this. Um, he's currently undertaking a PhD in New Testament studies. Uh, he's taught apologetics, and we're going to be talking about his um, forthcoming dissertation on memory theory in 1 Corinthians 15. So, David, thank you. How are you today? Yeah, glad to have you. So, yes, I guess you're in New York, and I'm over in Perth, West Australia, at uh, 8 a.m. on Friday morning, October 1st. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's so cool because it's like you're in like October and I'm still stuck in September um, for a few more hours. But yeah, it's super cool. So we're going to be talking about your dissertation work on 1 Corinthians 15 and memory theory and things. Um, before we get into that, David, you just kind of like talk a little bit about like who you are and like what you do? Yeah, glad to have me and thanks. Yeah, so just my brief background uh, is I grew up in Perth, West Australia, and uh, my father was a pastor and I studied electrical engineering. And enjoyed that, but um, I thought I was personally interested to find out a bit more about my faith, as well as, yeah, I did have an inkling that it would be something I'd like to be more involved in as well. And so I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and did a Master's of Theology there about a decade ago. And after doing that, uh, my wife and I, had, we'd gone to Dallas, I'm skipping a few details here. Uh, mm -hmm. She was from Singapore, and we had to return there for a while because um, she had a contract with the Singapore government to fulfill. So I got into a little bit of lecturing at East Asia School of Theology and taught yeah, a bit of apologetics, as well as I started a reasonable faith group uh, there, which the first chapter was opened in Dallas while I was a student there. So it was great to be a part of that. And it was also great to, I think it was the first uh, non-North American chapter that started. Not that that matters anyway, but and it's great to see there's lots of those around now. Um, so yeah, after that, I wasn't from Singapore and I wasn't able to secure a permanent residency there for long term. And so my family and I decided to come back to Perth and we've been here for roughly seven years. Yeah, and I've been doing the PhD for roughly four years, as well as doing yeah, a bit of teaching, including at um, Alpha Crucis College, which is the Pentecostal Bible College of Australia, uh, as well as Sheridan College, which is a Baptist uh, college in Perth. Yeah, and do a bit of apologetics, a bit of Christian worldview. Yeah, so that's brief some of my background. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, before we get into all this serious stuff, which is hotter, Dallas or Australia? Yeah, so it depends, obviously, like where, but if you're comparing Dallas to Perth, the summers mm. are almost the same. But Dallas does get colder in winter in the sense that you do get ice, whereas it rarely gets, um, so I'm going to do the whole Celsius Fahrenheit thing here and it'd be in <laughs> precise conversions but in perth it can get to uh freezing water zero like 32 but it only happens for like a few hours on average like at the coldest part of the morning mm. so in general i would say perth slightly warmer than dallas but yeah Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you answering that question on the spot, you know, throwing these tough questions at you to start off, David. Um, but that was getting into like your dissertation because you have a lot of really cool work. Um, so let's talk about like, what is the heart of your argument regarding like memory theory in 1 Corinthians 15? Yep. Yeah. So I haven't finished my dissertation yet, but hopefully I'm actually got a message from my supervisors meeting next week and hopefully be wrapping up this semester uh, and hopefully pass in submission, of course. Yeah, actually, on a crazy thing for dissertations in Australia, I think because we used to be so remote, and for some reason we haven't changed with the time, I don't have to give an oral defense of it. It's just a written oh, wow. submission. Yeah. Um, so it's in the hands of people, and they're, they're anonymous to me. So, you know, just obviously for <laughs> professional reasons, you don't get to know who fails you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. 
But um, yeah, so my dissertation's entitled Jesus' Resurrection in Early Christian Memory, the Implications of Memory Theory for Understanding Jesus' Resurrection in 1 Corinthians. So a bit happening there, but it's basically to say it's looking at how memory impacts Jesus' resurrection. And so for dissertation, you need to narrow the scope. So it looks particularly at 1 Corinthians because that's one of the earliest sort of detailed sources on Jesus' resurrection. Yeah. No, yeah, sorry, no, that's, that's super great. Yeah, do you have anything you want to add or do you want to dive in? Yeah, 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 happy to. So just more how it looks at then. So it basically begins by saying that Jesus' resurrection has been studied. There's lots of great stuff out there. I mean, there's so much to mention. As a crazy example, there is a 600-page book uh, called A Thematic uh, Bibliography of Jesus' Resurrection that mm -hmm. is not like a book in terms of contents. It's just a bibliography. And it's yeah. 600 pages of listing sources, and it lists approximately 7,000 English sources on Jesus' cool. resurrection. But yeah, just to name a few, you know, people like uh, N.T. Wright's The Resurrection of the Son of God, Mike Kukona's The Resurrection of Jesus, and more recently, people like um, Bass and Loke's work on the resurrection, or Dale Allison's have been, you know, great treatments of that. And most of them have used what you might call a criteria of authenticity approach. This is to say, they've looked at what criteria can show that the sources are likely reliable um, things like multiple independent attestation embarrassment dissimilarity yeah and so a phd needs to be something novel or new and so i've used memory to look at jesus resurrection which to date as far as i know hasn't been uh done it's been done on other topics like uh anthony the don studied uh the son of man sayings and uh, Chris Keith looked at Jesus' literacy and things like that, and there's been others. But yeah, so I'm using a memory approach to look at Jesus' resurrection. Mm. Yeah, I think this is super cool. Oh, did they cut you off, David? Uh, no, yep, we're good. <laughs> okay, um, awesome. No, no, we're good. Um, so this is super cool, and I love this research and everything you're doing because it's just like, like I'm like memory theory. Wow, this sounds pretty pretty intense and worth thinking about. Um, so obviously, like if you're familiar with like apologetics or things, I'm sure you're familiar with like the First Corinthians 15 Creed that's talked about. Um, so let's talk about like Paul. Like what? It, how do Paul's memories like come into the picture? Like when we're talking about this Creed in First Corinthians. Yeah, yeah. So in First Corinthians, uh, chapter six, verse fourteen talks about how. It's talking about sexual immorality and the use of the body and it says just as christ has been raised you'll be raised and it's just sort of a single verse but yeah it's not till chapter 15 where it's dealt in more detail and in there you get the fact that paul says in the first couple of verses as well as verse 11 of chapter 15 that this message of jesus death and resurrection of the gospel is something that paul and the other the others i think the other apostles have already preached to them so there's a sense in which there's memory of I was with you in person in Corinth, which you can line up in the book of Acts and say this message was spoke. As well as you get in verses, uh, chapter 15, verses three to eight, you get in verse eight, Paul's own account, his firsthand, if you like, uh, memory experience or biographical recollection of what he experienced with Jesus, or the resurrected Jesus. As well as then in verses three to seven, you get, Paul passing on the traditions, which say memories that he's got, but it's not his first-hand account of what happened to the others, such as uh, Peter, the 12, James, the 500, and things like that. So you, Paul's memory of Jesus' resurrection, as recorded in 1 Corinthians, includes at least sort of three different things, like what happened before in person, uh, the memory of others, as well as his own first-hand account. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, I see, I see. I like that. And when we're thinking about like this creed in First Corinthians fifteen, like I think one of the questions like it's always talked about is like, what does Paul think when he's thinking of like the resurrection of Jesus? So like some people will say like maybe they're more critical. Will be like, well, maybe this is some sort of like hallucination or like um, some sort of like private revelation. Whereas other people may say, well, no, he's like he believed he saw like the physical risen Jesus. So when you're looking at this creed in First Corinthians fifteen, David, uh, do you think Paul thinks that he physically saw like the risen Jesus? Yeah, so scholars do take those variety of views. I mean, I guess you have some one or two, and you just should use the word scholar, but they may not be a New Testament scholar as such. Might even say, hey, the whole passage is um, an interpolation that's made up. I know uh, Andrew Loke's uh, book covers interacts with that sort of viewpoint, but it's not mainline scholarship. My dissertation doesn't look into it much. But yeah, in terms of what Paul thought about the resurrection, uh, I would side with the fact that the term raised, agairo, is can be understood in a few different ways, but is very likely referring to a physically body event, that Jesus was raised from being an incapacitated lying down body, raised up again to life. Um, as well as when you continue in the passage, you know, Paul talks about how, you know, how can some of you say there's no um, resurrection? And then if that's the case, then Christ hasn't been raised. And so he seems to understand what this resurrection is again in sort of a bodily sense and then there's discussion a bit about what does uh, paul mean by a spiritual body and um there's a lot of work being done on this but mike lacona's stuff on that is one of the best and yeah, he basically shows that the terms and how paul uses it uh is not likely referring to an immaterial body but rather spiritual body means that it's either empowered by the spirit or that it's uh, like the spiritual realm in the sense that heaven is a place, a real place, but this spiritual body will be like that, like everything around it and that. Um, and so, yeah, how did Paul think of the resurrection? I think it's in First Corinthians, both the experiences that he talks about others and himself, he's likely taking that as this was a literal bodily thing that happened. Mm. So I wonder, like, when I'm thinking about this creed in, like, 1 Corinthians 15, like, Paul, like this creed talks about, like, uh, Jesus appearing to, like, Cephas and then to, like, a group of the disciples and, like, the 500. And it's, like, there's all these different appearances. And it seems like to me, like, from my, like, layman's perspective, like, reading this creed, like, Paul kind of includes himself as, like, I'm, like, like, these people, like, saw the risen Jesus in, like, a physical sense. And he's, like, yeah, I'm one of these people as well. Like, do you think that'd be, like, kind of, like, a fair take at what's going on here? Yeah, yep, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, historically, we would say something, we can have different reconstructions, but we'd probably say something like, you know, the claim is that, I guess you're getting from the Gospels, that Jesus appeared to the disciples um, on the third day, on the Sunday morning, first a group of early women followers and to other men, and for a period of about 40 days. And then the appearance to Paul was sometime later on the road to Damascus, maybe um, a couple years type of thing. And then in terms of how it's phrased in first corinthians 15 uh it's um mcgregor uh, kirk mcgregor i think it is has an article on this who talks about how he thinks the wording of it suggests that paul's experience was qualitatively different from the others which uh, doesn't necessarily mean that uh it's a spiritual as opposed to that but he's realizing like it's out of sequence there's something different about that and uh in my work on memory on that i suggest that would tend to recall events based upon our experience. So the fact that there's a slight difference in how it's phrased in verse eight of chapter 15 
to the earlier appearances could suggest the fact that you know Paul's experience was on the road to Damascus and then it was only understanding of the others that he came to realize that there was a bit of a distinction how that they're both like real appearances of body risen Jesus but yeah you even see that uh there hmm yeah it's super cool and sorry I like, had a little hiccup there when I was trying to talk um but yeah so let's get into like this memory theory stuff because I think this is super cool because you talked about like this is like ground that has not yet been broken in terms of like New Testament studies, especially with regards to like um, this creed here in first Corinthians 15. So I believe you said there's like 21 like factors with regards to memory theory you consider um, in your dissertation regarding like this and how it impacts first Corinthians 15. Um, so like, how does a memory theory approach affect your study of this creed, David? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I probably do cover too many uh, factors. In fact, you know, it is, I think I list 21 and I can't, list all 21 off the top of my head i'll have to like look at my work to remember all 21 each time but yeah with the memory approach so a good book on this is uh thomas hoover kane's the quest for the memory of the historical jesus i'm close to that and um in that he's a dissertation that he completed in 2017 and it's been a published book that came out last year that basically looks at about seven plus key scholars who've used memory and he concludes that there isn't one memory approach that New Testament scholars are using. Rather, there's a diversity of ways to go about it. And in light of which, that's partly why uh, in my dissertation, I lay it, I think this is the best way to do it. And I think these are the 21 factors that are worth uh, looking at. But basically, a memory approach is to say, we're using memory to study uh, someone's memories. And then basically, you say like in the Gospels or 1 Corinthians 15, in my focus is that, yeah, this is someone's memories, like Paul's memories. And so we can ask, well, what do we know about memory today? Like what have modern studies told us? And then how can that be applied? Um, yeah, yeah that's super good. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're doing good. Cause I think at this point, like probably the best thing to do if you're ready is kind of dive into some of these factors, which might be super yeah, helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, so let's, I love, what we're going to do is we're going to go for probably like 30 more minutes or so, and then we'll save the last 15 minutes for Q&A if you have questions or super chats or things like that. But let's dive into some of these areas, because this is like, at least in my mind, like this is like the stuff that like hasn't been talked about yet. So I'm super pumped. Like, what are some of these factors in memory theory? So maybe you can just pick one that you find super interesting and you can just think about it. Yeah. 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 So uh, in terms of the stuff of memories generally has been discussed, but yeah, not with respect to Jesus' resurrection. So one would be the constructive nature of memory. This is to say that not all um, philosophers and um, psychologists of memory think that memory is constructive, though I'd say the majority do nowadays. And that's just give an example of in studies, they would say uh, if we get witnesses to witness like in a controlled environment, <clears throat> television, and they see like a car crash, and then you later ask them how fast was the car going when blank and you insert the word blank with hit smash collided uh, different words you basically find that people if you like uh remember the event differently and you might say oh that's because the word suggests or contaminate stuff and there's different factors but the idea is that it seems that memory can be constructed based upon different factors um, and they've done other similar experiments as well and so in this case for memory you'd just be asking if um the claim is Jesus rose again. How could memory sort of affect that? Like what sort of things would come into play that? And I guess in brief, I would say that the constructive extent of memory has to be consistent with the setting. So for example, if I asked you like in your kitchen, what are some items there? 
um, you're never going to remember, well, I assume you won't, that there was like a hippopotamus or there was, um, yeah, just certain items just don't fit that context. But, you know, if you try to remember and said, yeah, I think my kitchen has like a toaster, um, knives, plates, like all of that's there, even though it may turn out that, oh, this that morning there was actually no plates there, but you might memory might construct the fact that it was because it's consistent with that. And so I basically argue that uh, Jesus' resurrection as a bodily event in the midst of history was not the typical afterlife viewpoint of first century Jews. They were expecting a bodily resurrection, yes, but at the end of the age, at the end of the eschaton. And so as such, this is not something that their memory would likely just make up and sort of trick them by accident. Rather, there's probably some other thing that happened that caused them to describe it that way and why they're remembering it that way. So, yeah, that's just like one factor, say the constructive nature of memory. And I'm yeah, saying, um, before we get into, yeah. So, I just wanted to like kind of like make sure I'm like tracking this right because I think this is super cool. If I'm, I mean, it's still cool even if I'm like totally misunderstanding you, but like, um, it's like when we're thinking about like constructive memory, it's like I'm thinking about like Paul here in First Corinthians, like he's walking around persecuting the Christians. He doesn't have like in his like background knowledge, his belief that like there's going to be this Messiah in the middle of the ages that's going to rise again. Like this isn't in Paul's background knowledge. Um, he's thinking that potentially there's going to be like this later resurrection at the end end of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this, this like Jesus stuff, like this isn't like anything like he was expecting. Um, so like when he experiences this, like it would weigh some credence to like the resurrection, like as an actual event, because it like, goes against like um, maybe him like going off of like maybe like some assumptions he had in the background. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, that's basically what I'm trying to say. Like, they, they weren't expecting, uh, particularly Paul then, yeah, he wasn't expecting anyone to sort of be rise, let alone Jesus, who he wouldn't have seen as the Messiah sort of thing. Rather, he was likely accursed by God. And so, yeah, the fact that someone like him comes along to have that belief, like have the memory of that Jesus was risen, just yeah, wouldn't be the kind of thing that the constructive nature of memory would like accidentally make up. Just like how I might remember saying, yeah, I thought there was a toaster in my kitchen, but it turns out I must have remembered from my parents' house or friend's house or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. Do you have anything else you want to add with regards to like this constructive like theory of memory or do you want to move on to another factor? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's definitely more that can be said, but that's just sort of at least one aspect of how it affects it. So in terms of my dissertation, I guess most people have sort of big ambitions and stuff gets removed. So yes, yeah, so mm. I've had a few stuff removed, one of which I would <laughs> consider all the different logical possibilities for Jesus' resurrection, such as mm. uh, and Andrew Loke's work on this, I think is really logical and a good way of describing it. But so, you know, I've said, I think First Corinthians teaches the view that Paul believes Jesus rose bodily, but some people say, like, oh, you've misread it. And so I still thought, you know, it's worthwhile considering what would memory mean for the other interpretations of Jesus' resurrection? And so this includes things like the disciples didn't see anything, but they lied. Uh, the disciples saw something, but it was intermental. The disciples saw, uh, and the third option then would be the disciples saw something, and then it was extra mental, but it wasn't actually Jesus. It was like mistaken identity. Uh, the fourth one would be the disciples saw something. It's extra mental. Um, it was Jesus, but he didn't actually die on the cross. He just swooned or fainted. And then, uh, what number we're up to now like the fifth one i think is yeah disciples saw something it was extra mental it's out of their mind it was jesus he really had died but he just rose naturally from some sort of natural um abnormality and then the last option would be i think the seventh one that jesus died it was, uh, that 
the disciples saw something. It was extramental. It was Jesus. He had died and he'd been raised supernaturally. Yeah, which I think is what the Gospels and Paul teaches, that God raised Jesus. That's the explanation they give. And sorry, the point I'm bringing that up is to say that also it's worth considering what would memory mean for these other explanations. So if you say memory is constructive, like how would that affect the idea that disciples lied and hallucinated and stuff like that? And by and large, um, there's several theories there. So I think the uh, objective visions theory actually fares similar to the resurrection hypothesis. And I almost need to define that because there's different ways people define an objective vision. But I take this to be um, similar to visions like the prophets had, like Isaiah, um, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, where it's not just a subjective vision they made up. This is rather God acting on them to give them a vision of the prophecy or something. And so I'm saying if God gave an objective vision to the disciples or Paul, then that would the memory of that would be similar, although I actually think it would be still stronger for a real event. But for all the other viewpoints, I actually think memory makes it less probable. It's like constructive nature of memory to your lying, for instance, is likely to ravage havoc. If you've told other lies, it's likely you could confuse that. Unlike a bodily resurrection is a unique thing that's not likely to get confused with other memories because it's just not something that happens. You don't see resurrections every day. Yeah, unfortunately, lying for most of us is more than once in a lifetime event and things like that. So I think these other views of Jesus' resurrection, uh, memory tends to do more damage. It makes them less likely. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about like memory theory and like these different ones in your dissertation, are these like different ideas on like how memory works? And you're kind of looking at like how the resurrection fares with each one or like, like what's going on here with like all these different theories of memory? Yeah, I guess basically, yeah. So I would say if you go pick up any uni textbook on memory or philosophy, um, you say like, what do they tell us about memory? Um, and so they normally will have several factors and the stuff that isn't relevant to our dis the gospels accounts of Jesus resurrection. And that may include like childhood memory or like um, amnesia and like um, Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But otherwise there's a whole bunch of stuff they're going to teach you about memory. They're going to say there's different types of memories, memories decay at a certain rate. People forget uh, things memory can be affected by suggestibility when people say something like now I've talked a bit about being hippos in kitchens I don't know mm. why but um that may just suggest random things like and it just implants there and so yeah I'm just saying there's like 20 plus factors that these standard textbooks will have and so I'm just trying to look at them one by one and say how would that affect that like what would we know um yeah, and I could comment there. So I'm not sure why. <laughs> Sometimes it makes me worry if I've like used something wrongly. But there's only one or two other people who have looked at the philosophy of memory in New Testament studies. And so to me, that was just like a gaping hole that yeah. was like, great, I'll look at this. And there's lots of really good things there. For instance, you did say how to different theories of memory. There's literally in the philosophy of memory um, four theories of remembering of what it is to remember something. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the epistemic theory, the causal theory um the simulational theory and great i just forgot one but um <laughs> yeah and so with each of them i basically just look at and say these are what philosophers of memory have said about how memory may work and then yeah what would that mean for those um, mm. yeah 
Yeah, so this part that like you've been talking about, like, like comparing like memory theory um, in like First Corinthians fifteen, like so you're looking at like these different hypotheses about like well, what did the disciples experience? Like, did they lie? Did they like see the risen Jesus? Was it, like a hallucination? And you're like looking at these ideas and like in light of memory theory and saying, well, like, like at least like when we're looking at like these different like these different ideas with regards to memory theory, like potentially like the resurrection is like the best game in town to like explain like where these memories come from. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that being said, sorry. I do think on this topic is something we should consider, but my dissertation itself has all the other views removed. So it only talks about exegesis of 1 Corinthians 15, which concludes that it was a bodily God raised Jesus event. And so it looks at what memory means for that. But yeah, I do think just as we're discussing this and people of interest in general would be how it is a memory affect the case of Jesus resurrection generally. And so you're going to want to ask what does memory mean for those different theories as well? And I did actually consider them, but, yeah, it just got t- took out of the final cut. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I'd be curious to talk about then maybe like the hallucination hypothesis, because I think a lot of people, um, yep. at least like, I mean, I don't run laps around like resurrection scholarship or anything like that. Like, I, I'm not, but like a lot of people gravitate to, towards some sort of like hallucination idea where like, well, maybe like Peter had some like brief hallucination or like Paul, like, and there's these few hallucinations um, and that maybe that could explain like the facts or whatever that um, you need to, to explain like the growth of Christianity and whatnot. So in your mind, like in your opinion, then David, like where does this fall short with regards to like memory theory um, compared to like a resurrection hypothesis? Yeah. Yeah. Got you. And I do think that's probably one of the more popular uh, naturalistic theories out there. So yeah, it's definitely worth being aware of. And I guess in regards to, why does it fall short is it partly depends what you're comparing to but so if we're saying the view is that another view is that god raised jesus and you're know, saying how many other times have there been resurrections and you may actually say none but depending on how you define resurrection there has been other resuscitations uh in the new testament for instance um the was it Jairus's daughter uh the the saints and matthew 27 and that so you could say that these other resurrections could have been confused or a source of contamination of jesus resurrection but just in brief you'd probably say it's likely a unique event not likely to be confused so with studies on hallucinations basically you find that they're not all that uncommon and that people do have them and such that um and defining hallucination can basically be uh, any sort of false sense that didn't actually happen. So, I mean, the most common one would be if you ever thought, oh, my phone just vibrated, I got a message, you look at your phone and you're like, oh, there's nothing there. So that's mm-hmm. technically like the finest, that'd be a hallucination. But um, in, yeah, and so in the case of Jesus' resurrection, you could be saying hallucination hypothesis could be that they uh, thought they heard a voice, but you know, when they turned around, it wasn't there or they you know thought they saw something. Um, of course, the gospel accounts have jesus resurrection appearances occurring in multiple modes of senses like they both see hear, touch and stuff like that which hallucinations like that do happen but they're rarer but anyway the point would be is that hallucinations are not all that uncommon such that uh in, in general then someone who experienced them could in theory have had other experiences accounts and then so it is more possible that they might confuse one or the other and i what I'm getting at in this one particular instance is that that would mean that it's more likely that it is a memory that could be confused with others, um, which just means it, it is a memory that probably didn't get as likely deeply embedded and ingrained um, as a unique event. Uh, an illustration, I guess, with this is like, it's very sad where remembering uh, 20 years of September 11th, 
Um, and just even in, in my life, I'm 37 and that's just one of the most uh, shocking things. Even, yeah, I'm 12 hours time zone around the world. So I guess I had a different experience of the event. It wasn't morning for me, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, that still just sort of stands out. But um, yeah, other things in my life that may be more common, like it's hard to remember. And so the idea here would be as well, if people are having more common hallucinations, it's less likely to have made that deep memory impression uh, on them as well. It's less likely to affect their identity uh, the way that a one-off event like a bodily resurrection would as opposed to hallucination of it. Hmm. Yeah, so I think what you're trying to say then, David, just make sure on the same page, because this is super cool, um, is thinking about like like something like a really massive event, say like a, a resurrection of Jesus, that's going to make a, like a major impact on like someone's memory um, and like how they're going to like orient their lives. Whereas if it's just like, say like a hallucination, like it's not as likely that they're going to have this like big massive transformation transformation based upon like a hallucination. Yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, did you, you want to add something? No, no, that's, yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, so maybe you want to talk about like another factor with memory theory or something, wherever you want to take this that you think might be the best to explore. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, got you. Um, just trying to pick which one of us. And this is probably the most boring of the one, but I think when people do think of memory, they think about forgetting. And so what's known mm-hmm. as transience in that sense, basically forgetting. Uh, I mean, that's obviously a straightforward factor to look at. And that's basically to say, if we were trying to recount like what we did yesterday, uh, it's what we had for breakfast yesterday, it's easy to do now 24. So I guess, sorry, only 12 hours for you. But um, yeah, shorter after period was if a week later, you're like, Oh, what did I have for breakfast? Like a week ago, it's harder or, you know, a year ago. And obviously if it turns out like yesterday was your birthday, then you may be like, that was a significant birthday that may affect it. But um, so transience in general, it's going to say the further away from adventures, the more likely you're going to forget it. And that's one of the advantages of the first Corinthians text, namely that it's one of the earliest uh, texts we have. And so depending on how it's dated, you're talking about a couple of decades yet, the creed, which you've already mentioned, First Corinthians, is something that Paul received and he passed on. Um, and then so he already told them so such that if you like the memory of it goes back to, you know, a few years before First Corinthians because he visited them. And you could ask, like, when did he receive this? And there's no real um, universal consensus on anything, but on like on this date either. So within two decades is what would know. And I think Dale Allison's book, which came out earlier this year, sort of goes with that route. But the vast majority of scholars would say within a decade and some, like I think it's James Dunn, says within 18 months. Uh, So you've got this very close to the event. That's to say, though, it still has to be remembered for another, uh, if you put 18 months, it still has to be remembered for another sort of 18 years before it gets written down in 1 Corinthians. But in general, that's pretty close. And uh, yeah, we couldn't remember what we had for breakfast 18 years ago, but this is just not like breakfast. This is like, a life-changing event um, that you'd have to look at other factors, one of which is called flashbulb memory and like personal event memory, which is things like September 11th or other uh, significant events. But yeah, in terms of just transience, would say that actually this fares pretty well. Um, and I guess because it's saying other documents, uh, like even if you take the Gospel of Mark as conservative dating, are more likely three decades. So that's in a sense a bit worse off or like your yeah, other Gospels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this is super, 
I don't know why you call this boring, David, because I think this is super cool. Um, thinking about like forgetting, like so, like the idea is like we have this idea of like this creed keeps passing along. Like it's not like someone like like they all just forgot the creed, which means like well maybe there's something like super significant that kind of happened like behind um, this creed in First Corinthians fifteen. Yep. Yeah. Got you. So and just a few things there, like you mentioned. Um, it's not just, I guess, Paul's memory then. We're saying it's a memory of community and it would have been passed on. So it's not like um, Bart Erdman in his book, uh, Jesus Before the Gospels, is a bit on memory and orality. And he would uses the telephone game of people sort of whispering things on to show how like unreliable it can be. But um, yeah, definitely other scholars, uh, one of which I can think of recently would be Craig Keener's Christobiography talks about how it's more like a web it's like a um a net not a chain that's passed down but like yeah it's sort of whole growing out and so there's no one leak in the one weak link in the chain rather yeah there's all the apostles other disciples christians going around um the place telling these sort of stories so yeah it'd be likely preserved mm, that's super interesting um do you have another kind of facet you want to talk about here we have like 10 more minutes and then we'll do a little bit of q a Yep. Even, I guess, so still staying on forgetting then. So transience is one aspect of that, but you can look at how uh, things are forgotten as well. And like one is, um, I guess, transient space, what you might call decay, decays over time. But another one could be uh, interference, which is to say, if I ask you to remember the number seven, uh, and then I start saying like eight, nine, six, and then we talk about other stuff and do this, all this stuff has interfered and distracted you from what that number was. Although hopefully you can still remember seven, it was a pretty easy uh, illustration, <laughs> but the idea would be if there's other similar events, like, yeah, if there are lots of people who are getting resuscitated, like maybe the disciples confused Jesus resurrection with Lazarus or something like that. But the ideas would say there really wasn't that many things to interfere. This was a pretty unique event at that particular time. And so it's not likely that Jesus' resurrection got forgotten due to interference. Just like with decay, uh, with transience, it's not that far off. So it's not likely either. There's also, I guess, retrieval theories of forgetting to say that we don't have the cue to help us retrieve it. Um, this can happen in real life with you meet a friend who you always see at uni and like, I guess maybe the uni, I'm trying to think where you were in New York. Nowadays. University. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty tend to be Australians tend to be a little bit more casual than Americans. Um, <laughs> I like yeah, Australian so. language better than American English. Just saying. So, and it sounds cool. So, <laughs> yeah, you go, thanks. But, um, so let's just say you meet a friend and you're used to seeing them dressed a certain way, but now you see them, maybe they've just come from work and they're wearing wind clothes and you're like, Oh, I recognize you, but because there's something different about them or like they've had a haircut, you just, you're not able to retrieve like who it is and make the connection. And so you could mm -hmm. say the same thing about Jesus resurrection would be some sort of retrieval clues that make it distracted, less likely that disciples remember it. And I guess once again, because I think it's likely a unique event, bodily resurrection in the midst of history. Yeah, there's not likely to be things here that got confused with that retrieval uh, memory of it. So they would likely be able to retrieve it all right. And it should be accurate in that re one regard and you have to consider other factors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, maybe you have like one, uh, probably like one more factor, or maybe two um, that you find super interesting. I mean, I'm sure you find all 21 super interesting, yeah. but like one that you think like for the sake of this discussion, that might be worth talking about uh, with regards to First Corinthians 15. Yep. 
Yeah, and that, that being said, not all 21 are equally interesting. For instance, you can look <laughs> at the effects of memory and age, and you basically ask how Paul, old was Paul when Jesus appeared to him, how old was he when he told the memory, and the basic thing is that uh, children as well as older, and I kind of say this like nicely, but yeah, <laughs> older elderly people have generally speaking more difficulty with memory but in that sort of the vast middle period uh people don't have as much issue and i'd say there's no reason uh the general well not maybe not the general view but the general paintings show the disciples being quite old when they were with jesus but um several scholars like one which is craig keener again would say that the disciples were likely in their late teens um and maybe peter as he said to be married was just like early 20s but when they were life and ministry with jesus and then if you you know you say 20 years later um and then paul's actually probably just a little bit younger than um jesus but a similar sort of age to some of the other disciples you're saying if they received it then at like 20 and then now paul's right down in his 40 like based on his age there's no reason to think that that would be a unreliable factor but yeah that's a pretty uh boring factor the same you can look at health and memory and say like yeah people in good health, good diets and stuff like this, remember things better. So what do we know about first century diets and Paul's health and treatment? And that one's a bit tricky. I actually choose to say here that it's probably best to remain agnostic in the sense of not making a strong opinion either way, because for instance, he was whipped, beaten, shipwrecked and stuff like that. But um, he also was traveling around speaking and teaching. So we've got no reason to think he had a bad memory based upon his health either. But so those were um, probably not so interesting points. So maybe one other interesting one would be yeah, what's known as personal event memory or like flashbulb memory. And this is basically to say that some memories are more uh, vivid and resistant to transients than others, that certain events in our life, um, such as September 11th, um, yeah, and obviously it depends how old you are. I'll take it for example, were you born? Yeah, I was I about, know. I was like one year old, so I have yeah. I have no memories of 9-11. Yeah, 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 totally understood that. But yeah, but there would still be, I think, certain things in your life, like maybe high school graduation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In people's weddings and stuff like this, or mm -hmm. sadly, if people have traumatic uh, experiences as well yeah. that can become sort of flashbulb memories for them. And these would be things that are more likely well-remembered. And so the question is, would Jesus' resurrection be a flashbulb memory? And if you thought it was a bodily event, a real event, which yeah, I do, and several other scholars do, then you'd say, yeah, that very likely generated a fashionable memory. The experience of the disciples having followed uh, Jesus for three plus years, and then it seemed to turn out that they were hoping he was going to be the Messiah, the Christ, uh, but he got crucified by the Romans. It seemed like uh, he was a fraud, that they've wasted sort of the time and lives. Uh, and then you know, God raises him from the dead would, yeah, just be huge and would create like a flashbulb memory. But yeah, if you compared it to some of the other views and said, you know, the disciples just lied, uh, a lie is not going to have that um, same embeddedness. And actually at my kid's school, they've got um, a poster up that says, and this is a bit simplistic, but it's a kid's poster, so give them a break. It says, mm -hmm. um, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember. And the idea being for kids is saying, if you make up the lie, you got to remember your story as well. But if you just tell the truth, you can just say it as it is. And so, yeah, in that regard for like flashbulb memory, lying isn't like to create that. And so that sort of view is likely to suffer more. Uh, and the same you could ask about, yeah, hallucination or swooning, like how likely is that to impact 
um, that. And for instance, just on the swoon theory, the fact that Jesus, if you assume that Jesus fainted and swooned on the cross, like the fact that the disciples see him alive after that he's regained consciousness would actually create a flashbulb memory, but not so much of his resurrection, but the fact that he hasn't died, like it wouldn't inspire them to say Jesus is risen, but it would inspire them to go like, that's amazing. Like how many people live crucifixion? But um, yeah, so, you know, I was just saying there's different aspects and how it affects the different theories. And yeah, mm -hmm. flash world memories is likely to apply for Jesus' resurrection as saying it was a significant event and they would likely be able to recall uh, even some of the details about it. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. So what I'd like to ask you, David, and then we'll go to Q&A uh, in just a moment here. So we'll get through as many as we can. And then if there's any super chats, obviously we'll take those first. Um, so like in some, David, like when you look at like memory theory in First Corinthians 15, like where does this in your mind, like leave us in terms of like making a, making a case for like the resurrection of Jesus? Yeah. So in theory, I'd say this is the first major study to look at it. That's to say there's definitely been other things. So you don't always want to like pretend and try to blow up your trumpet too much. For instance, uh, James Dunn's book, Jesus Remembered, uh, covers the whole of Jesus' life, but does look at Jesus' resurrection. He generally looked at orality. Uh, there's been others like Dale Allison's book this year that uses a bit of memory as well. Um, but yeah, by and large, though, I would say that memory approach hasn't been used for Jesus' resurrection much. And so it's interesting to be able to see what that sort of case would say for it. And I think the view that if you interpret the scriptures, and right now I'm not just thinking of 1 Corinthians 15, but the whole scriptures to think that Jesus raised um, God from the dead. Uh, if that had happened, then I think the disciples would remember it really well. I'm not, I mean, I personally do think that happened, but I'm not saying that you can demonstrate and prove that. But in terms of memory, we're saying if that had happened, it's very likely that the disciples would have remembered that event very well. Whereas if you contrast that with other things, like if nothing had happened and the disciples just lied, or if they had experienced hallucination or swoon or something, that's not likely to have made a as long-lasting uh, memory. And it doesn't seem to be consistent then with like how it's described uh, in New Testament literature. For instance, like in 1 Corinthians 15 again, Paul says to them in about verse 3 that what he received, I pass on to them as of first importance. And this is to say that it wasn't a secondary thing, like it's crucial. Yeah, and it's not likely to have had that central position um, on the other views, but with memory of a bodily resurrection, it's likely to have been really vivid, long lasting, made a deep impression. And so, yeah, memory theory supports the idea that Jesus would could have been risen and it could have been remembered rightly by the apostles. Um, I sort of steal from, um, I think in the last four years, Finding Dory came out. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching that with my kids and over the credits, it has the song Unforgettable, which um, is not, written by Disney Pixar it's like an old song but you know they just sing it there yeah and that occurred to me you could use that same sort of logic with Jesus resurrection you could say that for the disciples like Jesus resurrection would have been unforgettable it'd be something that experienced them that would have just been sort of burnt in their memories um, and that's what we sort of see that they become a resurrection community that goes about talking about it um, all over the place hmm. I think, David, if you ever put your dissertation into a book, that'd be a pretty cool ending for a book to talk about that little like story with Finding Dory and whatnot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So just saying. Uh, 
I better get credit if you ever do that. Just saying. <laughs> um, but we'll go to a few questions now for about 10 minutes. Um, so we have a question from Lucas. Uh, let's pull up this one first. It says, does David think the criteria of embarrassment is compatible with the recent developments in social memory theory and the Gospels? Yep. So there hasn't been a huge amount of stuff that I'm aware of that's tried to combine memory and uh, the criteria of embarrassment or any of the criteria of authenticity. So yeah, I only have a random footnote that says, I think they can mm -hmm. go together. And I'm trying to think. So yeah, it's generally been treated as like an either or. And so on the whole, my dissertation, the project was just to see, well, what does memory say? And I personally do think that you could, in addition, then use the criteria of authenticity and in a sense, you'd be able to say more. But um, you're putting that side with this question as well. So it just points out about social memory. So that was also like one of the 21 factors that I looked at. And so some of the New Testament scholars only look at social memory. And an example, again, I guess if we go with September 11th, um, no, well, there are very few, like, um, what do you call it, like conspiracy theory type levels that say September 11th never happened. But by and large, like the remembrance of that event is not asking, did it happen? And that's basically because it's taken as a given. It did happen. And this is how society has remembered it. This is the communal memory. This is how it's affected us. This is how um, it's changed us. Like we, we were united um, as a nation. We stand up braver and courage, you know, uh, you are not going to be uh, terrorized and stuff like this. And so that's like how social memory would affect it. I feel with Jesus' resurrection, both questions are relevant. Namely, we want to ask, did the memory, the, did it actually happen? So just like in most um, courts and testimonies, they're asking like, did this actually happen? Has the witness recalled the memory accurately and rightly? So I think all those sort of criteria are important and come in, and sorry, criteria, I don't mean criteria of embarrassment or authenticity here, but the kind of criteria that someone would use in a court of law, and I don't want to use necessarily the legal standard on the gospel, but for memory, that they're going to be relevant to assessing whether the memory happened, as well as then for Jesus' resurrection, we want to ask what is the social memory of that? And that's to say, it's got these impacts on the community, how they identify and that. But I'm sorry, that was just like um, some thoughts. But the question, if you want, how does the um, criteria of embarrassment is compatible with recent developments in the social memory theory in the Gospels? So I would say that I probably missed it. There's just see a lot of mm -hmm. stuff out there. But I haven't seen anyone arguing that case yet. But yeah, I personally do think they can go together. And I guess I think it would be done something like this. You would say uh, if a memory is embarrassing, it's less likely that a memory has been made up. Um, and so that can go together with memory. And I guess depending on what you mean by social memory here, uh, in the sense that a social memory can be both one that's held by society or one that has impact and value for society as well. But yeah, as opposed to you're going to contrast social memory with individual memory and the individual memory is going to be those factors on how individuals remember particular stuff. But yeah, that's a few thoughts there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super helpful. Um, we have a question here from True Counterphobia, which says, um, in a book I'm writing called, I talk about human freedom and I tie this to memory. Sensory memory, shallow processing and schema is what I'm using. I say we are free when we challenge our schema. Um, and to clarify, he says, I'm saying that when we experience something new that contradicts our schema, with our shallow processing, we have to make a decision based on its truthfulness. Um, we decide on information. So 
I have no idea what's going on here. It's way over my head, um, but I don't know if you know what's going on, David. Yeah, and so that was, sorry, I don't know if you're able to get the full question just in front of me so I can see both parts of that. I can't game. do both at the same time, but I can go okay, back and yeah, forth. So just tell me yeah, when you just, switch. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Because, yeah, it's also quite big. But, yeah, those are some of the, the factors as well. Like, yeah, to say schema would be what's the typical sort of grid, the framework that people remember things on. And I oh, can't give a good illustration right now, but I guess – uh, I feel like I've went with the kitchen. If you go with that, there's certain schema of how kitchens are set up and laid out and objects in there as well. So for Jesus Resurrection, we want to be asking what's the typical way that death and the afterlife beliefs are understood. And I would argue that bodily resurrection in the midst of history sort of breaks that schema. I mean, some parts of it fit, like that the Jews were expecting a bodily resurrection, but at the end of the age, yep. But so more to this specific question then, um yeah so there's just like several parts there but yeah in terms of shallow yeah. processing yeah we do want to think stuff where that makes a deep memory impression or it's shallow and i guess i was suggesting with the flashbulb memory stuff that Jesus resurrection if it was a bodily event would make a deep impression as opposed to a shallow one i think we would be made by a lie or something like that so if we go to the second part of the question again mm -hmm. thanks yeah Yeah, so I feel like to answer this um, clear, I need to just have the question rephrased. But I mean, I do think that that's good. Like, there's, these are some of the factors that, yeah, that need to be thought about, and they will have implications for how different th interpretations of Jesus' resurrection, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for that, David. Uh, we have another question here from Lucas that says, um, does David think that a particular Old Testament passage in mind, um, in, say, 1 Corinthians 15, when it says that according to the scriptures, or does he favor Wright's view that the story of Israel as a whole? Yeah. Yeah. Partly, I guess the teachers have influenced me. I often don't like to be too committal and say like, this is the strongest view, but rather I say, look, if this was the case, then this follows. If this were the case, then that follows. So yeah, on like this, yeah, I do spend, I don't know, several pages discussing on what does it mean by according to the scriptures, what scriptures they have in mind. Yeah. And you do have those different views where they might be thinking they refer to specific passages such as oh man like in jose talks about like yeah on raised on the third day yeah or could it be uh particularly if you look in the book of acts like when they talk about jesus resurrection they'll often say like you know david was dead and buried his body's still with us but you know christ been raised up and so you could be saying that so specific scriptures yeah or nt Wright and several other scholars tend to take the view here it's saying how Christ's resurrection is fulfillment of the whole sort of thrust of scripture that, yeah, it's not pointing to one individual, but yeah. And so I would tend to not be taking a strong view on either way, but saying there's, there's both these sort of views. Uh, and in regards to memory, like you would have particular keys to link, link you to specific passages, like that's the cue, like how you would associate them and that, and yeah, as well if it's, if it's sort of the whole of scripture, then this is showing how central it would be and how much it will affect the identity uh, in the sense that it's not just one thing, but it's like, this is the whole thrust of it. This is what it'd mean. And one of the things I try to do a bit in first uh, in my dissertation is to point out how it's not just memory is in verses three to eight, where Paul has the creed. Memory affects how he understands the resurrection body, like in verses 30 five to 58 
um, when he talks about what the resurrection body would be like as well. It's informed by his memory of Jesus' resurrection, as well as, say, in chapter 6, uh, verse 14, when he says that just as God um, raised Jesus, he raised us, and he's talking about um, sexual immorality and use of our body and stuff like this, memory of Jesus' resurrection informs how he thinks about how we should do our ethics like how we should behave and have our body as well so in that sense of according to scripture in that broad sense it can show how it's impacting how he thinks about life in general like jesus resurrection meets all of this scripture and impacts not just what we say about jesus death but it impacts our eschatology it impacts our ethics and stuff like that it's like a a core memory of if you want so going with disney um What's the um other me- memory movie with the we got sadness, oh, joy, and yeah, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but that they have like core memories in the, the character's life as well. So saying Jesus resurrection would be like a core memory that um can impact that. But yeah, sorry. So in direct answer to this question, um, I'm not too committal as to which is the better one, and I would say yeah, the scholars who argue both quite well. Um, I guess if I was to argue, I'd probably go. I think towards that right view that it's not well, one in mind, but at least several and yeah, perhaps the whole trajectory of scripture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, David, this was such a fun interview. Like there's so many cool things to talk about here and so much to explore. Um, really like blazing the trail. I was in a class today and I was talking about like westward expansion for the USA. And I'm like, this is like westward expansion, but for like new Testament studies uh, with like memory theory and stuff. So do you have any kind of like last thoughts, things you didn't get to say, um, and then feel free to like share like how people can like connect with you or follow you or anything like that. Yeah, no worries. So I think I've, I've been a little over the place there with things, but yeah, I uh, I would say that yeah, memory I think does have some usefulness for study. I don't think it's like the one way forward, but like yeah, I think in that sense the criteria of authenticity still stand, and so people continue to use that. Um, so if you use memory as well, it may have more to add, but without it, it's not like you've done bad studies. But um, what I've looked at it, it doesn't sort of hurt the case for Jesus' resurrection. In fact, because I think there's good reason to think that the disciples could have remembered a bodily resurrection event um, compared to the other theories, I actually think they tend to get weakened. So in some sense, it actually strengthens the case for Jesus' resurrection yeah, in terms of uh, following me, I haven't really produced much stuff. In fact, this has been my first uh, interview online. So, yeah, thank you mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But um, I have started a ministry that I haven't got going, but because I had this coming up, I was like, oh, I better get some things going. <laughs> so the ministry is called Why Christianity, and the website's whychristianity.org.au. And right now it's basically just like a blank page about what we believe and the kind of things we hope to do. So hopefully we'll actually get around to producing some content. I guess I've been focused more my PhD, but there's so many great ministries out there, such as your own, which I think people go to and find, yeah, much better resources to continue. Hopefully I'll get something done eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you are kind of like undertaking a PhD and like have a family. So I do understand, you know, you might have a little bit on your plate. So yeah, I appreciate you so much for coming on today, David. It's been so much fun to talk with you. Um, Yeah, this is so much great stuff. And I'm hoping that you get to share your work out more because there's so much great stuff here to think about. And I think it was Lucas who was in the chat that recommended me to interview you. So big thanks to Lucas. This is super interesting to me. Um, And I think think this is so much fun. So yeah, thank you, David, one last time for coming on. It's been so much fun. Appreciate you a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it's great to see all your work.
yeah. Yeah. And thank you to um, Lucas and True Counterphobia and Synonym and everyone else who joined. Um, wish you guys the best. If you found this edifying and you aren't subscribed, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And if you join the channel, you can become a patron at patreon.com. So you can hear an for a little as a dollar a month. Um, your support means a lot. But yeah, David, one final time. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Yeah. Thanks and, as well. And thank yeah. you, everyone. Yes. God bless.